Let me start by asking, do you want to be blessed? We'll try that again. Do you want to be blessed? Okay, you're still with me. Excellent. Well, guess what? I took 50 bucks from Rachel this morning. And emboldened by my success, I took another 50. Now, that's good money for a preacher early in the morning. Uh, So Rachel is 100 bucks worse off. Or is she? How do you know when a banknote is real or counterfeit? Hmm. Well, we could start by examining the fake, couldn't we? We could put it under the spotlight. We could examine its intricate details. We could see whether or not it's got errors or, 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 or those kinds of things, and we, we could look at the fake. Or we could take the real note and, and we could make note of its design features. We could say, how heavy is it? What does it feel like? Where are the indentations that have been deliberately placed onto the note so that you know it's real? Real or fake? Well, both of these are real, so I'm going to take them and put them back so their rightful owner has them. But how do you know? Well, it's a, you know, the experts say if you want to know whether a banknote is real, you study the real thing. Because when you know the real thing and you know it well, actually spotting a counterfeit is quite easy. Now, in the Sermon on the Mount that we're about to look at over the next few weeks, Jesus gives us the real thing. He gives us a detailed picture of the transformed Christian life. If you want to know what Jesus expects of you, the Sermon on the Mount will give you just about everything you need to know. It's a comprehensive description of life under the rule and reign of Jesus Christ, where we learn, for example, how to value treasure rightly. Jesus is going to call us to love our enemies, to keep our word. He's going to tell us to resist selfish desires, to avoid being judgmental. He's going to tell us to dispense with worry. Jesus will call on his disciples to live out God's good design for sexual purity. He'll expose the pitfalls of outward religion. He'll teach us to pray, and as this morning, he's going to show us what the blessed life looks like. All this and so much more. At the end of his sermon, the crowds are going to be astonished. Well, you would be. If you could sum up this remarkable teaching, we might say Jesus calls his disciples to be transformed. Transformed into a way of life so radically different from the world that we begin to look like fish out of water. In the world, obviously, but noticeably distinct from its values and priorities. The crowd was astonished, we're told, at the end of chapter 7. But his disciples are blessed. And so I pray that we, along with them, as we listen to Jesus, will be likewise blessed. Let me pray, and we're going to take a closer look at the beginning of this remarkable sermon from Jesus. Why don't you join me? Father, we do thank you for this time that we can set aside to sit under your word, the teaching of your son. We pray, Father, that we'll listen to him carefully. And that you'll guide us to be those blessed disciples. Father, hear our prayer through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Well, you can see two points today. Who is blessed and how are they blessed? Blessed is one of those words you hear, but depending on the context, we're really not sure what it means. If you sneeze, I will say bless you. 
Uh, if someone wants to, to you know, make their weekend good, they'll say, well, it was a blessed weekend, whatever that means. To be blessed in the Bible is more of a status than an experience. The blessed person is approved by God. So Mary was blessed. Abraham, Moses, Hannah, David, they enjoyed God's favour. We would say they were blessed. But the question remains, who is blessed in Matthew chapter 5? Verse 1, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. Jesus speaks to everyone. He teaches his disciples. Now, to be a disciple here simply means that you belong to Jesus. It might include those Jesus specifically called, but it could be any disciple. How have they become a disciple? Well, come back to chapter 4. Jesus begins his public ministry. What does he say? He says, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. And so the disciples we find at the beginning of chapter 5, they've obeyed this command. They've turned from evil, they've turned to Jesus, that's what repent means, and having turned to Jesus, while they don't know how he'll achieve it yet, they've received from him the forgiveness of sins. All of which is to say these disciples already belong to Jesus. They are already members of his kingdom. His disciples came to him. Now, this is crucial as we begin this Sermon on the Mount because Jesus is not telling us in this sermon how to become a Christian. You can live out Jesus' Sermon on the Mount and still find yourself outside the kingdom because entry into the kingdom does not hinge on your performance. Jesus has already told us how you enter the kingdom. It's forgiveness of sins through repentance in Jesus' name. That's the only way into the kingdom. And so Jesus' sermon is on the mount is for those who are already disciples. Forgiven sinners, learning the transformed life under the rule and reign of Jesus Christ. I need to ask, are you a disciple? You can be. Turn to Jesus, turn from evil, seek his forgiveness. Now, with that by way of extended introduction, if Jesus' disciples are the blessed ones, well, now we can ask, how are Jesus' disciples blessed? I didn't look up my 1951 dictionary, but Ken gave us a helpful tip. There are eight blessings here that Jesus talks about, sometimes called beatitudes. Now, beatitude is just the Latin form of the word blessed. Now, you can thank me later for that piece of uh, totally useless Bible trivia, but it sounds important, doesn't it? It sounds more learned if we call them. I'm going to go with blessing because that's kind of just who I am. What does blessing look like? I doubt the original hearers expected this. Jesus is about to tell us that God's blessing rests upon the poor, the sad, the gentle and the starving. Now, we might want a quick sidebar with Jesus at this point before he really gets going. Surely, blessing belongs to whom? Well, to the rich, the happy, the strong, and the well-fed, doesn't it? That's how we structure our lives, don't we? 
Jesus says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. This has nothing to do with financial resources, although bankruptcy is probably the best image I've found to describe what Jesus means. To be poor in spirit is to describe your total spiritual bankruptcy. Coming to God, offering nothing because you've got nothing to offer. Nothing in my hand I bring. This one, says Jesus, will be blessed. We didn't read it, but back in Isaiah 57, the Lord says, I live in a high and holy place, but also with the one who is contrite and lowly, poor in spirit. So he's up here, but he condescends. He comes down. Why? To revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. So I want to say to you today, if you adopt the posture before God of being poor in spirit, you are close to the kingdom. You're blessed. And then Jesus adds, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Some of you will know the name Thomas Cramner. If you don't, he wrote the original Anglican prayer book. It's old English, bear with me. But in the confession prayer in the Holy Communion service, the congregation says together, we acknowledge and bewail our manifold sins and weaknesses. We acknowledge and we bewail our manifold sins and weakness. To mourn over sin is to be stunned by your capacity to do evil. But remember, those who mourn like this will be comforted. I heard a preacher called Alastair Begg preaching on Psalm 51. That's the one where David learns the hard way to mourn over sin. He's got a terrific way with words. He said, we should be humbled by our sins, but never haunted by them. And he went on to add, we need to remember that through Jesus, our sin has been cast into the sea of God's forgetfulness. What a terrific line. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. How do you reckon Jesus' audience was feeling at this point? How are you feeling? And I like a laugh as much as the next person and we should remember Jesus' kingdom is a place of celebration, a place of rejoicing. That's true. Jesus isn't promoting endless guilt. What would be the point? As if the Christian life is nothing but sackcloth and ashes. That's not what he's doing. But Jesus knows that what fuels Christian joy is gratitude for God's mercy to the undeserving. Blessed are those who mourn, for they'll be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they'll inherit the earth. Meekness has been done a severe injustice by our Christmas carols, hasn't it? Meek and mild little Jesus, no crying he makes. Give me a break. As one person wrote, meekness must not be confused with weakness as if Jesus could be pushed over by a hard slap with a wet noodle. To be meek is to be gentle, true, but using your strength to promote the needs of others. Meekness is the outward expression of our inward spiritual humility as forgiven sinners. To such people, Jesus says, they'll inherit the earth. 
At which point we need to remind ourselves how foreign these kingdom blessings are to our worldly experience. I mean, come on, Jesus. Meek people don't inherit the earth. Powerful people impose their will on others. It's powerful people who get things done. It's powerful people who are admired, the ones with scholarships named in their honour and statues erected to their memory. No, it's the meek, says Jesus. And consider his example. Jesus, remember, is the one with unlimited power. What does he do with his power? How does he describe himself? If you were to turn to Matthew 11, I've got it on the screen. I am gentle and humble in heart. Strength under control. Strength used in the service of others. The meek, says Jesus, will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they'll be filled. We're familiar with physical appetites well enough. Actually, we're consumed by all kinds of appetites. For comfort, success, validation, security, all appetites competing to be fed. To be a righteous disciple means you'll hunger for a right knowledge of God's will and a thirst to carry it out. And this is an appetite that can only be satisfied by constant, long-term dieting on God's transforming word. It's the only way. Think of this. If you feed your mind with car crash television, let's pick on a show. Um, the Bachelor? I don't know. How about Love Island? Let's go with Love Island. Is that going to help or is that going to hinder? What are you feeding your mind with? Let's hunger for what's right, says Jesus, that which is honourable, noble, praiseworthy. Hunger for righteousness and you'll be filled. To show mercy means not treating people according to what they deserve. And Jesus says, blessed are the merciful. For they'll be shown mercy. Actually... God treats us with mercy because mercy is central to his character. Psalm 103, the Lord is compassionate and gracious. That's who he is. We might say that's what he is. Gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. And so having received mercy, it stands to reason the disciple will learn to extend mercy. Bearing with the failings of others as they bear with ours. And here again, mercy is countercultural. There's no mercy on social media. There's no mercy in office politics, in my experience. Mercy costs. Mercy makes you vulnerable, and yet Jesus says, blessed are the merciful. It's sad I should have to say this, but to clarify and to remove all doubt, showing mercy doesn't mean you must stay in an abusive relationship, if that's you. I urge you to seek help. Blessed are the pure in heart, says Jesus, they'll see God. It's a big promise. It's a big promise. Because if you remember way, way back, I think it's Exodus 34. God says to Moses, you can't see me and live. Jesus says, the pure in heart will see God. To be pure in heart, I think in the language of Ezekiel 36, are those who've received the new heart. Or if you prefer the language of Psalm 86, the undivided heart. 
People, John 3, who've been born again, who are less and less enthralled with the promises of our world. Those ones will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they'll be called children of God. Not blessed are the peace lovers. Not blessed are the peacekeepers. Not blessed are the conflict avoiders. Blessed are the peacemakers. Peacemakers are fighters. They step into the conflict zone. And I have to tell you, peacemaking, in my experience, is a contact sport. When you step in as a peacemaker... You step in to the crossfire of relational messiness. Peacemakers fight. They fight for peace. They seek reconciliation. This is how Jesus loved us, Colossians 1, when we were enemies in our minds, enemies of God because of our evil behaviour, but Christ has reconciled us by his physical body. Peacemakers are fighters. They fight for reconciliation. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Roger's going to preach more on this when our mission partners open doors, visit us. But let me make this quick observation. Living as a disciple, if you hunger and thirst for righteousness, if you mourn over sin, if you're poor in spirit, if you show mercy, that's going to get noticed. But please don't expect the world to thank you. Your words will be noticed, that's true, so be careful how we speak. But guess what? Increasingly, you don't have to say anything. Even before you open your mouth, a quiet, polite, gentle refusal to go along with the celebration of our world will be enough to have you singled out for abuse. Daniel learned that way back in Babylon, do you remember? Thrown to the lions for respectfully refusing to obey an ungodly edict from a king who went beyond his authority. He didn't go out on the streets holding placards. He didn't post on social media. He didn't make any fuss at all. He went up to his private room and he prayed to his heavenly father. And for that offence, thrown to the lions. Blessed, says Jesus, are those who are persecuted. Did you notice it's because of me? This is personal. We might think persecution is about us. It's not. It's about the world's hatred of the Lord Jesus Christ. Opposition to him. But do remember the promise, those who are persecuted, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Theirs is the kingdom As if an inheritance, these blessings are are what the theologians call the now but not yet. Ours in Jesus, yes, these blessings are ours in Jesus, that's true, but not yet fully revealed, not yet fully experienced. Yet there are plenty of churches in Sydney that will tell you today to claim these blessings now. And in these places, it's my experience, everything is up. The vibe is up, the music is up, the intensity is up, the positivity is through the roof. The only thing that's down are the lights. It's good to be uplifted. 
It's good to be encouraged. It's right to be encouraged. It's right to be uplifted. I simply make this point. Jesus' main priority in this passage is not to make his disciples feel uplifted. He wants more, so much more, for his disciples here. Jesus' main priority is to see his disciples blessed. And to be blessed, you must follow the king because blessing comes from him. What was his pattern? He's been raised to glory, that's true. What was the path to glory? It was down, down to the cross. That's the pattern. The way up is to go down. God's favour rests on the poor in spirit, those who mourn over sin, upon the meek and the thirsty. God esteems the merciful, pure in heart, peacemaker, who stands for Jesus in a world that says you shouldn't. To such as these belongs the kingdom. They'll be comforted, they'll inherit the earth, they'll be filled with righteousness, they'll receive mercy, they'll see God and be called children of God. So do you want to be blessed? Well, then become a learner. That's what disciple means. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. Let me pray. Father, we do thank you for this remarkable word of your son. Would you shape us to desire the blessed life? Would you give us that right picture of who we are before you? Much loved children bought at great cost. Increase in us the desire for the right life that brings honour to our Saviour. And may we stand as an example to others that through us you might draw people to yourself and we ask that through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.